Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra. By the way, excuse me, I have a bit of a cold on me this morning. That's why I sound all bunged up. Um, so mostly when we do the interviews on The Outer View, it's always with journalists who are asking the questions. So on this podcast, you get two for the price of one. It's also about how to uh, be interviewed. So if you've got a product to sell, if you've uh, got a service you want to advertise, how do you get the best out of an interview? Uh, Gail is a brilliant uh, interviewee. She's full of stories brilliant history and great stories of how she reached where she is now and some brilliant insight into how to sell your product if you if you can't tell you can't sell is her big maxim and we get in depth uh, in the podcast about the the nitty gritty of doing a really great interview Uh, as always if you want to get in touch with me I'd love to hear from you Uh, you can email me it's um, alan at swanmacg.com or you can tweet me it's at alan swan a-l-a-n-s-w-a-n I would love to hear from you on twitter so uh, without further ado, here is episode seven of uh, The Ed Review with my guest today in conversation. It's Gail Murphy. Well, get straight into it. Gail Murphy, thank you so much for coming on the Outer View podcast. And Gail, um, can I ask you, kind of, how did you get into the business of media? How did you, because we're, we're usually the people that we interview on the Outer View podcast are people who do the interviews. Your speciality is preparing people for the interviews. So I think it's great that we have somebody of your stature and expertise on the show. How did you get into this mad business? Well, first of all, let me just umbrella this whole thing. First of all, thank you for having me. And then let me let then let me um, umbrella this uh, whole industry that falls under the category of media. And keep in mind, if you've been doing whatever you've been doing for more than eighteen months, you know that the industry's been disrupted uh, on so many levels. So how one person starts out. Um, it probably doesn't even exist five, six, eight, 10, 12, 15 years later. Um, but who they are and the genuine human things and traits and listening skills and writing skills that you, that you, that are imperative, regardless of what shape the landscape is in, you need to have them. You need to have them. They need to be there in place. Because I think the term multimedia was kind of bounced around for many a year, but I don't think it's been ever as important as it is in 2016. It really is multimedia now. Oh, my gosh. It really it certainly is. When I started, um, I and I'll just get this as quickly as possible. I was listening to the I started as a stand up comedian, but I had a great time. And then I did improv comedy and that I was good at because it's a, it's about it, it taught me the greatest skill that I have. And that's how to listen, how to listen. <clears throat> if you want to be in the media at all and you're dealing with people, whether you're on camera, off camera, on air or not on air, you have to learn how to listen it. And, and it was a skill that was hammered in, into me. So um, I I was going out for films and TV and I wasn't very successful. I was listening to the radio one night with some friends and um, we called into the radio show and we had actually partied a lot. I called into the radio show and um, a guy put me on the air because I went on as one of my characters, which is Greta Lagumbo, a German dominatrix. 
And so when we were done, he said, who are you? I said, oh, I do stand up at the comedy store and stuff. And I do improv. And he said, can you come on next week? And I said, yes. And I wound up being on the show for about two years. That was on K-Rock here in Los Angeles. Major market radio, number two market in the USA, right? Anyway, um, I did that for about a year and a half. And then I decided, you know what? I I actually really think I want to do this. So I uh, went to radio school. You're supposed to go for three years. I went for three months because that was all the money I had. And they were willing to take my money. Plus, I'd been on the air. And um, I uh, none of that served me in getting my job. I met somebody at a party. And uh, he was a big-time radio guy. And um, he said, come to, come to the station. I do production on Thursdays. I could use another voice. And it just it just started like that. I worked there for about, the guy's name was Phil Hendry. He's huge. I worked there for about three years. I got blown out, which is what happens, you know, in radio. That's why I never, if you work in radio, never take a vacation. Because you come back and somebody else is sitting in your chair. So I, so I got blown out of there and I actually sent my tape to KLOS Radio, which is an owned and operated station by ABC. And, um, uh, they asked me to come in and I went in and I met them. And from the time they hired me to the time I, uh, got my gig, they had eliminated that particular broadcast because I was doing news and, um, I said, listen, and he said, I'm sorry, you know, you won't be able to work here. I said, well, wait a, wait a second. Let me just hang around here. If you like me and I like you, let's just see if I can't find a place for myself. So he was like, oh, I'm going, you know, it was like pacify a mad woman. So I realized they were doing these huge promotions where they would have like, you know, Pink Floyd and Genesis and Bruce and all these huge shows where they would promote all week long. And then when it came to the concert, it was like crickets. You heard nothing. So I said, why don't you send me to the shows? I'll do, you know, I'll cover the sound check, you know, any last minute information. And and then I'll write on the show. I came from theater. So I, you know, I had an idea and I had worked in clubs. So I, I kind of had an idea of what holds an audience or even if they're happy or not. And I was a, a, a huge uh, music freak. So uh, I knew all the music. So he said, uh, OK, so I became for 17 years. I was the only on location rock and roll reporter in Los Angeles backstage. And as a matter of fact, I still remember people now who say backstage, Gail Murphy, KLOS. Just, just happened to be last weekend. I'm like, stop. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it's nice to know that people. Remember you, yeah. So, um, about two weeks into this gig, while I was doing it, I had a, a call from ABC News in New York because they owned and operated KLOS, and they said, "Listen, we're putting together this new network called the Rock Radio Network. Um, do you want to take some of these interviews that you do with these bands and repackage them and repurpose them, and we'll pay you twenty five dollars?" I was like, "Wow, twenty five dollars! I can <laughs> I can make so much money in a coma just doing that. So that would be easy." And um, then I started selling these packages to the UK and to Canada and Australia. And so I was, I didn't even, they didn't even call it multi-purposing then. I was just trying to pay my rent. And uh, I did that till 1999. I did that for 20 years and, and it was great. And I traveled and I went on the road with bands. I was, I went to China 
and twice reporting from there it was it was just fantastic and i think it's really interesting gail that you know and sorry to cut across you and we're up to 1999 that for, for yeah. a lot of people that listen to this podcast we have a lot of students and a lot of media students who are starting yeah. off in this business who listen into this and i think one thing that's that struck me from from listening to your story from the beginning is you know if you are looking for a gig if you're looking to get ahead in this business if you're looking to to, to make your mark you you have to network you have to graft you have to get out there and make a name for yourself nobody just because you do, you do a media course nobody's going to come and give you a gig Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. I have to tell you, when I started, they didn't even want women on the air. So you have to be fearless. Um, even if you here's here's what's really interesting. I ne have never gone on the air as myself. I'm going I've gone on the air as this girl who is ninety nine point ninety nine point ninety nine percent of what I look like, sound like, talk like, write like everything. But since I self-produce. I have to, I create this persona and she's fearless. I'm not nearly as fearless as she is, but when it's showtime and you're on, it's like I, it's like me just saying to them, to KLOS, uh, let me just hang around here and see what I can figure out because I was already in the door. I, they already liked me, uh, but they didn't have the answer. And I thought, well, Okay, that's not a problem. Let's just come up with a solution. And they bought it. Yeah, and and that's the thing with this business as well. It, it, you know, we're up to 1999. You've done the radio. You're selling these packages. Reinvention is, is a big thing. Did you see it at a point where you, you had enough at that stage that you wanted to move on to the next stage of your career? Or, or where were you at, at that point? Well, at that point, I'd already done about 10,000 interviews. I freaking loved it. Why did I love it? Because it was probably the most life-affirming thing that I ever, had ever done. I was spending hours a week with people that were not my boss, that were not my neighbors, that sat down with me voluntarily and were the 1% of the 1% of some of the most visionary, smart, rich, uh, motivated people that I could ever meet. And I think about it sometimes, I realize that I have spent more than two thirds of my life, because now I'm up to like 15,000 interviews. I have spent more than two thirds of my life surrounded by some of the most visionary, inspirational people. And in some cases, I'm still standing and they're not. So humility and gratitude is huge yeah there's so many life lessons from from the the business that we work in and you know just it's going like fifteen thousand interviews that's a lot of air miles um you know with all that experience is there any times where and, and we'll get back to the timeline again but is there any time you know even after fifteen thousand interviews where you're slightly taken aback has anyone even at this day and age surprised you at all surprised me in terms of someone that i was interviewing or the disruption of the industry or yeah, if, if you're doing an interview with somebody and you've interviewed 15,000 people, but you, you still, the odd time, get somebody who throws you off track or you've gone, wow, that was a brilliant, brilliant answer to, to my question. Do you know what? Every single person that I talk to blows me away. Um, there's some that are more interesting than others and some that are more fluent and actually how to tell their story. But I am so grateful to be, um, I'm so grateful to be, I'm gr so grateful to be the recipient of their story uh, because it's a story I've not heard before.
because everybody arrives in the same place and that's in front of my microphone. How they got there, for each one, it's a completely different story. I was, there's a, a new film coming out. I just did the interviews yesterday. And of course, I have to look it up in my book to tell you the name of it because I, it's called um, High Strung. And it's a dance movie. It's, it's really, really good. So they were casting the director of this film. I mean, the producer of this film, Michael Damien, who actually in the 80s was a pop star. He did a song called Rock On. Uh, he, uh, this is his 12th film that he's producing, but he had seen this dancer that he wanted in his, in his movie. Um, and he went online, he couldn't find her, didn't know anybody who knew her, had no way to contact her. He went on Twitter and he found her and he just tweeted to her, oh, um, uh, uh, hit me back if you would like to talk about being in a, in a, in a movie. So the moral of that story, and they tweeted each other three times. She got the job. She's the lead actress in it. Um, so the moral of the story is always respond to your tweets. <laughs> you never know who you're talking to. And life is so freaking interesting. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Gail. I talked about Twitter. That's how I met my wife. Ah. Yeah, so we, we met on Twitter and um, we got married about two two years later. Oh. Yeah. See, this is just so unbelievable to me. I mean, it's so believable. In other words, you say to me, that's how I met my wife. Of course, that's how you met your wife. Absolutely. How else were you going to meet her? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, who would have thought Twitter? And we have a little girl now, um, you know, Serena, and it's it's all a result of Twitter. Actually, funny enough, we invited Biz Stone, one of the founders of Twitter, to the wedding, uh, but he couldn't make it, but sent us a beautiful message to the wedding to kind of wish us well. Oh. But um, it, it it is true. You, kind of, you know, you have to, you know, when you're in this game of chasing up people going after people doing your research i think people forget sometimes or journalists forget sometimes the story the the that everyone has a story and i think it's glossed over by press releases and you know you can only ask this question you can't ask that question you can't do this you can't do that where if you remember to get to the heart of what a person's life is which is their story you can get so many different avenues out of it for an interview that is the single most important thing it's the story it's all about the story so make it a good one and also um, since there are so many students, you know, so many of you were raised at a time where it didn't, it had no value to still believe in the magic and the, and the synergy of life. But you can't, it's just like when somebody tells you to cross the street and the light is red, you, you just can't listen to anybody. That's one of the things that people, that, that is a constant thread through so many of the people that I've talked to is just stick, if you, if and I'm not talking about dreams here. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just saying if you know what you know and you have a certain feeling that it that it's it's just a matter of timing, just don't don't leave it. Just know and just realize that the who who that who you are seeking is seeking you and and who is seeking you is going to and you're going to find them. And it's, you know, sometimes it doesn't um, work by your particular schedule. But I've heard, exactly, I've heard too many wild and crazy stories. 
you know, and I, and all it is, is it just reaffirms to me. You just, you got to stay the course. You got to stay the course. You got to stay. And the fact is, is if you, it doesn't matter what, in what part of the industry that you work in, just be grateful that you work in the industry. Just be grateful that you're one degree of separation from who and what you want to be doing. And, and especially musicians, my God, they, you know, it's harder for actors because everything's done by committee, but with musicians and artists, all you have to do is do your art and then go to a seminar, take a seminar, listen to a podcast, get on YouTube, look, look at a video tutorial and educate yourself. And you can't say, well, I went to a seminar two months ago, two years ago. I don't need to go today. Everything is being disrupted constantly. Um, let's go back um, to, uh, we won't go too far back now. We'll go back to, we're at the stage now of 1999 of your career. Where you've, you've been working in radio. Uh, you've got these packages that you're, you're, you're basically sending out to us. Show, and I'm you're, traveling and I'm the You're having a great time. Ball, so yes. what, where, what happened? Where are we now? Okay, ABC gets bought by Disney. And I don't really want to go and work for Disney because it's not a newsroom. It's not a news gathering organization. So it doesn't allow me to. And this was this was the law. This was Murphy's law. I decided that it, that it, it wasn't a news gathering and it still isn't. It's more of an entertainment media conglomerate. So um, I got scared. I. Uh, ABC had had a co-production deal with the BBC and the BBC guys lived out here. And I got a hold of them and I said, listen, uh, I don't really want to go work. I don't, I, I'm not sure what to do. And they said, just keep doing what you're doing and uh, we'll find stuff for you to do. So I started just doing every, going to all the movie junkets, all the uh, radio interviews for, for the labels. And I just was working with BBC and, um, you know, once you get in their system, it's fantastic because now I work with 92 different producers. Some of them are TV and some of them are radio. And because, um, the UK is about the size of New Jersey, a lot of the, which is very small compared to California, um, uh, they, uh, they share a lot of the same reporters and production people. So I just showed up on the radar at Sky. So I started doing stuff for Sky t as well. Um, but in the year 2000, I got this hankering, this need, I wanted to give back and, but I needed, but one of the things I learned from all the people that I had interviewed is that you go with what you know, you go with what you know, you're not given these tools for no reason. And I realized that I had known so many people along the way who had had such a great product, such a great service, such a great CD, a great movie, a great career, but they were so unprepared to even tell one person about it that um, they might as well just pack up and move to the hills because it was never going to happen. Because he here's the, the thing. If you can't tell it, you can't sell it. You could have the greatest business model in the world and, and be doing great. But if you can't tell one person about who you are and what you do without putting them in a coma, you cannot tell a million. So I decided to write a book called How to Survive the Media Without Getting Clobbered. So it's called Interview Tactics, How to Survive the Media Without Getting Clobbered, The Insider's Guide to Giving a Killer Interview. 
And it was, I wrote it specifically to teach people how to survive me. So that <laughs> when I, when I, you know, unpacked my gear and started setting up to do radio interviews, they, it, they would know it was showtime. They would have their sound bites. They would have their talking points. They would know how to relate to me. They would know how to ha- carry on a conversation with me. And they would know specifically what I needed because half the book is the tools of what a reporter needs. Uh, that immediately turned into a speaking and a coaching career, like, like in six months. And so I work with, I call myself the celebritizer and I'm still doing all this radio work, radio and TV work. So I call myself the celebritizer and I work with CEOs, showbiz pros, authors, experts, entrepreneurs, and I give them the very same interview tactics and techniques that some of the biggest superstars in business and entertainment use to celebritize or brand themselves and their businesses. Wow, and if people want to check out more, it's it's at Gail Murphy, that's G-A-Y-L, Murphy, good Irish name, and all the links to that uh, interview tactics, how to survive the media and media tips, all the links are there. I think it's it's really interesting because, you know, we, one of our guests that we had on before, Jeff Lloyd, who is a presenter on Absolute Radio in the UK, uh, showed great disdain um, for media and PR companies that bring a guest onto their programme but don't prep the guest enough about the type of programme they're going on. They seem to think that a one-size a one press release fits all. And he, he always thinks, God, if they were only better prepared to come on a show, that it would be a better experience for them, it'd be a better experience for the interviewer, and it'd be a better experience for the listener. Well, here's one thing you don't want to do, especially in the case of Jeff or myself or any of my colleagues or your, my, your colleagues, don't make me work so hard. I've done three interviews before you in the morning. I have five after you. I can only tell one story today. So what is it that you're going to give me that's going to compel me to want to tell your story above all of theirs? If you give me what I need so I can get the heck out of here. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, because it's it's to everyone's benefit. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have probably Googled me. I guess what? I Googled you too, as well. God, I hope, I hope you didn't find un, uh, any skeletons I, in my closet. Oh, I found, found all the trashy stuff. It's already up on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, because you, who knows? You, you go into an interview with someone and they could be from the same town as you. Their grandmother could be from the same town as you and you spent your summers there. You have to create some kind of commonality so that you both can calm down long enough to realize that you're both living in the truth. You ask me a question, I'm going to answer you. I know what you need, so I'm going to tell it to you. But, you know, I mean, when you go into somebody, if it's, it's, it is as easy and as simple as if you went to the same school together. If you have kids and you walk into their office and you see a picture with kids, you go, oh, you got kids. Something, something. If you find out they're a Laker fan or a, a Boston Red Sox fan, oh, how about those Red Sox? Oh, anything. Because it, bring, because it brings it back to being what an interview should be. And, and a lot of people bring this up in the podcast, that it should be somewhat of a conversation. And if you're having a conversation with somebody, you usually do find a middle ground. I call it an interview. I-N-N-E-R-V-I-E-W. It's an interview of you. It is not a conversation, but it's not a confessional. It's probably the most, um, it's the most 
inauthentic thing you'd actually do when talking to another person, and yet I am authentically who I am right now. It's just that I know how to do it because I know what you need. And I also know as a result of your program, my job is not to sell me. My job is to make you look like a genius for having me on your show. Uh, before I let you go, apart from your brilliant book, is there any, um, say, interviews that you've sent on to people in the past that you've seen or books or um, articles where you've recommended to people to help them in journalism or the, or the interview world? Well, yeah, my stuff has shown up in about four or five books. Um, there's a, uh, a really talented guy here in L.A. called Bobby Borg, and he just did wrote a, recently wrote a book. This is the most recent one, uh, DIY, uh, um, Marketing for the DIY Musician. And uh, he had a piece in there about media coaching. Um, uh, also, Jim Corkle, who's a big media, a big marketing guy. Uh, for entrepreneurs, he is, he did like four or five pages on me in his book. So that was very, very thrilling. I really enjoyed that. And, and, um, uh, you know, in my book, I, um, I had, what I did was I pulled out out a lot of sound bites from people that I was interviewing. I went on, I knew when I, once I knew I was writing the book, every time I interviewed someone, I'd say, when it comes to you know, this process that we're doing right now, interviews, how much, how do you know internally how much to give away and how much to keep? And, and what is your, what is your technique? What is your barometer? And uh, I, I got some fascinating answers. So I start each chapter. My chapters are only a page and a half long because nobody has any kind of attention span anymore. (laughs) That's very true. I start each chapter with quote, uh, from a different celebrity, and I must have about fifty of them. In, wow. in, because it really, yeah. it really is fascinating that when you're talking to somebody in an interview, and I, I, and I can see now why you call it an interview because you know, while for, with the best will in the world, you're having a good conversation or you're having a good interview, you do sometimes wonder how much is the interviewee giving away? At what level are they allowing you in? And it always fascinates me when you see a really in depth interview you kind of go is that is that the real person are they giving away are they giving away everything what are they holding back it really is interesting yeah i have another canned question that i ask people if they if i'm inspired by them sometimes you can tell as you know there's much more going under on under the surface than you know and i remember talking to matt damon one time and i said to him so tell me something before we before we go what is it what passions do you have in your life other than of course your work and your children um that would surprise people to know about you well it turns out that he is one of the founders of water.org which is a uh, philanthropic organization that that helps provide water and the skills for finding water um and whatever is needed to get water in uh, in africa and that opens up another avenue of questioning then. You bet. And I was like totally blown away. And every time I see him, I go, how's that water? How's that water flowing? And so it's a, it's a little connection that we have. I mean, I was completely blown away. It, it was like you watch them change people. It's the body's the same, but the whole other, a whole other person comes in and just tells you these things. And you're like, oh, and in many cases, you know, the connection 
to how he got involved is he met someone. He was either appearing somewhere or was introduced to them, and uh, he became fascinated. He became more than fascinated because he gave him money. And he's, you know, and the thing is, I said to him, you know, you need to, you know, you're like mentioned one time on the website. You need to talk about this more. He says, well, I talk about it. I talk about it. So I told him, I said, I wanted to help him do his messaging to get him more in the forefront. Yeah, and, you, and you've built up that, that instant rapport as well, which is so important that the next time you see him, you'll always have that to go back to, which is, which is, which is great. Final question, Gail, and thank you so much for your time and thanks for coming on the podcast. And, and I'm sure a lot of people are going um, are, are to be fascinated by some of your answers. Uh, if you had one more interview to do, who would that person be? If I had one more interview to do, who would that be? Um, who would I love to? Oh, I'd love to interview Hillary, I think. I think I'd love to interview Hillary. It wouldn't be Donald Trump. Uh, no, I. I, <laughs> I it, it, it wouldn't be Donald Trump because this is somebody that already has too many ideas about people. I think that uh, Hillary would be interesting to me because um, I would want to know about juggling between being a wife, a mother, a grandmother. And and doing all this. And I, I would also, I mean, she talks about her life, but she starts at college. I probably want to know a little bit earlier. Um, I would say Oprah, but I've had the luxury of interviewing her a couple of times. Um, what, is she, what is she like? I'd say she's a fascinating character. She's a fascinating character. She's fun and she's funny. Um, uh, she's uh, very grounded. Um, and I and 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 it's interesting sitting and talking to someone who is giving you their attention, who can have absolutely anything in the world they want, and that that really changes your chemistry. Yeah, because people people forget that that somebody as successful as Oprah, she makes you feel even though she's got all that money in the world, all that success. That even if it's just one on one, she makes you feel like the most important person in the room. I think if that's something you can do as a journalist, if you can make your interviewee feel as the most important person there is, you you will you will get that connection. Well, it's great when you know two years later somebody comes up and remembers you. I mean, I did a press conference not long ago with George Clooney, and I walked up to him afterwards, and I've been doing—I've been interviewing him since Batman. He goes, "Holy crap!" He goes, "I didn't even recognize you with your glasses on. You've been in this room the whole time." And I'm like, "Yeah." Is that after is, you didn't stand up and wave at me? Is that after you picked yourself up off the ground after he said that to you? Was it? Well, I'd interviewed him so many times before, <laughs> but yes, 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 yes. Well, Gail, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I think the Hollywood Reporter puts it best. Gail Murphy is a media pro, and I think there's some absolute brilliant nuggets of information for uh, those of us who've been in the business um, a long time, those of you who are listening who are only starting off in this mad business. Um, some brilliant, and I especially loved some of the questions that you can ask your interviewees that can get you out of a hole, that can bring out a whole different kind of avenue to go down. So, Gail, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge, and uh, be sure to call in to us next time here in Ireland. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Outer View for RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com.